Welcome to the first episode of Theologize, the podcast where we discuss theology, philosophy, sciences, and the like to form ideas on God and Christianity and just worldviews. Today, in our first episode, I have Josh DeBoer as uh, my guest. He's been a good friend of mine for a long time. Uh, first guy I met in Washington, although I sometimes... <laughs> deny it and he gets offended josh uh, go ahead and introduce yourself hey everyone you? david so glad to be here thanks for inviting me to be on your podcast uh, love the mission love the idea of you know just defending the faith with grace and and humility and giving a giving a defense for the the hope that we have it's awesome yeah and that was kind of the idea um you know you think of i believe peter says you want to be ready to give a defense for what you believe mm -hmm. um and that is sort of the goal of this podcast is we want to form different, you know, we want to bring in science to form um, and see empirical things that would help us view God or, or philosophies where it's a little more abstract and it'll help us form an idea about God. And then theology in a, of itself, um, where we need to form a good theology so we know whom we're worshiping, mm -hmm. I think. And so together, you know, with people like you, different guests, we're going to go ahead and hopefully do that. And those that listen, if anyone listens to the podcast, will get something out of them that can sharpen them and help them in their day-to-day -day walk and how they view God. Um, but first, I want to talk about something that happened in your life recently, which um, is pretty big news, pretty exciting. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So I actually uh, got engaged this weekend um, to uh, a wonderful Christian girl. Very excited. Uh, hopefully this summer we'll be able to tie the knot and not nice. that union. So uh, there was a little mishap, and uh, <laughs> it didn't happen the way that you planned or the day you planned. What what happened there? <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, I. Uh, well, we had another mutual buddy of ours. He was waiting up at the top of this mountain for us, and he was going to take pictures for us. And uh, there's probably five or six turns to get to the top of this mountain. Special spot. We had our second date there, and. Um, I was so nervous. I uh, missed some turns and drove around for about two hours and, and got frustrated and drove home. And uh, she had no idea. She had no idea I was going to propose that night, but I uh, convinced her to go back up to the mountain the next day and found the spot. And it was better weather. So it really worked out better than I ever could have planned. And that's awesome. I, I do feel bad, though, forever. However, for Jacob, who <laughs> probably thought the worst. And then so... To give some context, Josh um, met with his, all of his friends. I was not able to make it that night at uh, the river for one of our other friends. We call them bachelor parties where you're about to have a baby and we just need a reason to party together and <laughs> get together. So our friend Greg was having a bachelor party and Josh let everyone know there that he was going to propose. And then to everyone else that wasn't there, um, he had posted on our Facebook Messenger, our group chat that he was planning to propose. And so that night we were all waiting for a, she said yes, you know, but <laughs> surely enough, it got later and later and we hadn't really heard anything from Josh and everyone's starting to think like, did he, did he just, you know, did he get the big no? Is this, <laughs> is this not working out for Josh? And the next day he told us that things went south originally, but ended up working out for the best. So yeah. that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Super excited for this big step in your life. Um, and for Emily to be Mrs. DeBoer, that is awesome. So today, 
we are going to be talking about what I think is a really important factor in not just the life of believers, but in humanity in general, and that is morals and morality. Um, And we're going to be talking about specifically morals and whether they are relative or objective, as we have seen in our life, and then morals as being a proof for the existence of God. Um, So there's sort of three different you know, arguments um, for the existence of God. There's the cosmological argument, um, which is cause causation. So why is there a universe? Why is there a galaxy? It probably didn't just end up here by itself, but rather something probably created it. That's the cosmological. Um, And the teleological, both of those are from the ancient world. Then we have an argument called the ontological argument which stems more from medieval times and then lastly we have the moral argument which is a more recent argument and the biggest one to sort of advocate for the moral argument as proof of the existence of god is c.s lewis and uh i just want to read it all started with this guy named kant um kant kind of started the moral argument and then uh i can read off this list of people that all have different, you know, um, different arguments for morality and being uh, a proof for the existence of God. So we have Rashdall's argument. We have Sorley's moral argument. We have True Blood's moral argument. What a name, True Blood. Interesting. We have, and then lastly, we have Lewis's moral argument. And that's the one we're going to be focusing on today because most people have read the book Mere Christianity. In Mere Christianity, Lewis starts off with a bang in the first chapter. He talks about moral uh, morality and the moral argument being proof for the existence of God. And he goes on to say that morals are objective. Have you read the book? Yeah, it was like college, so right. seven I think plus years ago. Most people probably read the book, I think, <clears throat> before they're kind of like ready I know that I had tried to read the book one time um, as a high schooler, and I was like, I don't really care about any of this, and I don't really know what C.S. Lewis is saying. But then coming back to it later, after college, I think I'd been like 25, probably married. I'm pretty sure I was married a few years, and reread the book and realized, like, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. And the funny thing is C.S. Lewis was a... Um, English professor, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Like yeah. He was not a theologian by any means, no. but... God used him. God really spoke to him. Uh, World War II vet, and he kind of saw the evils of World War II, and that really helped inform his opinion on God, um, which I'm thankful for. Yeah. Um, but this is, we're going to talk a little bit about C.S. Lewis's moral argument. Um, and I'm just going to read this excerpt uh, from this article, and this is from, let's see, Baker Encyclopedia of Christian Apologetics. So, um, Pretty good material here. So Lewis's argument is the most popular modern form of the moral argument. um, And he gave it in mere Christianity. He not only gives the most complete form of the argument in the most persuasive way, but he also answers major objections. And there are a lot of those um, that Lewis sort of covers. Um, And I'm just going to summarize it quick, and then we'll just go over and discuss it and kind of how we have seen that in our lives and and maybe the differences between um, 
why people think morals are relative versus morals being objective. Um, <clears throat> C.S. Lewis argues first that there must be a universal moral law or else moral disagreements would make no sense as we all assume they do. All moral criticism would be meaningless. The Nazis were wrong, for example. It is unnecessary to keep promises or treaties as we all assume that it is. We would not make excuses for breaking the moral law as we all do. So I want to talk about this one first because I think this is like a big bang right out the window, just uh, firing right out of the cannon. Uh, and C.S. Lewis says that basically here right away that morals are objective. Otherwise, if they weren't the Nazis, we can't really say that they were wrong, right? Or we can't say that I need to keep the promises he said here, keep the promise to you that I made. Um, or even keep my word in any of that regard. So I just want to hear some of your thoughts on that and what you've experienced with that. I think this is objectively true. Like, I think this is a true fact. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's very interesting and it can very convoluted, but when you break it down, you have to say it's objective to God. I mean, to us, it can get convoluted, right? But there is one standard and that comes from the lawgiver, which is God um in our belief system but yeah right and with that it's then you were saying it gets convoluted and i was actually on a run today and i was thinking because we're getting into the season of halloween right, right. and there you you have a big disagreement and a disconnect between a lot of churches where a lot of churches will say like hey it's okay to celebrate halloween or it's okay to drink alcohol and then you'll have extreme churches on the other side that are like no this is the devil's act, alcohol is devil juice, and you know, you'll go all over the board. And that is a question in and of itself, because if we believe that morals are objective or there is objective truth, then we gotta say in one way or another that these truths that either it's right or wrong, um, is there as well. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, and I think it's important to just kind of simplify it, like narrow it down to the Ten Commandments or like there is a core objective moral law that most humans can agree on. And I think for Christians that goes by the Ten Commandments. Um, yeah, murder, you know, lying, stealing, adultery, pretty universal. I mean, if you talk to most people. Right. And then it goes even farther than that, because Jesus in the New Testament, he said, right, you know, right. all of those things, all the law can be summed up into these two commandments. Yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and yeah. then love your neighbor as yourself. And that makes so much sense because if love is the motivating factor, then even if someone disagrees with you about alcohol, you're not going to be drinking in front of them because right. it'll be a stumbling block right. and you're trying to demonstrate exactly. those commandments. Love. Exactly. So maybe not so much as the act is wrong and maybe God does leave a lot of that up for conviction and from mm -hmm. the Holy spirit. But what do you do with that act? Uh, are you going to offend someone? Are you going to choose to love? Are you going to, you know, celebrate the holiday? Are you going to choose to love the person that doesn't agree with the holiday? I think that is really what it stems down to. Yeah. But ultimately the moral truth of love. And if we don't believe in that moral truth, then, like you say, we can't argue that murder, lying, um, idolatry, um, slander, greed, 
we can't argue that those are wrong if we don't believe that love yeah. is a moral obligation. Right. right. And that came in the person of Jesus Christ, you know? So that's, yeah. And he perfectly summed up the law with love, you know, um, and, and accomplished it. And then, um, you know, ultimately gave us salvation through it. So the second thing that, and I love that, Josh, I think that's great. Um, ultimately we can't keep the law and we fail in moral obligation. Um, mm -hmm. only through Christ can we yeah. live out that, that walk. Um, the second argument that C.S. Lewis makes here is a universal moral law requires a universal moral law giver. Yeah. Since the source of it gives moral commands as lawgivers do, is interested in our behavior as moral persons are. So this is his second argument. He goes from saying that we need to first decide with whether morals are relative or objective. And I, I do want to talk about relative moralism yeah. or relative relativism to mm -hmm. in regards to people, because a lot of people believe that, yeah. that it's right for you, but it's not right for me. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll talk about that in a second. But C.S. Lewis takes this step and he goes from it's either objective or it's relative. And you have to decide that. And he argues that it is objective. And therefore, since it is objective, there must be someone who gave that objective moral law. It mm -hmm. cannot come from nowhere. There right. must be a lawgiver. Right. So we'll talk about that in a second. I want to jump back to um, relativism because this is huge in, in our culture. Um, it's right for you. It's not right for me. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, we see that a lot with, you know, um, homosexuality. We see that a lot with um, abortion. Abortion. Um, I'm not going to tell somebody else they can't do it. But right. I don't think it's right, but I can't tell somebody else not to do it. And it, it bleeds into politics. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. What what are your thoughts on really? Yeah. Like, how, what's um, your experience overall? Yeah. I think it's it is super interesting. And I think you look at where those ideas come from relativism me you know stems kind of from naturalism right like if we're if there was no design in our creation process then all of our faculties are just a result of natural processes and you know we just kind of decide what's right for ourselves and um and i think it's interesting you know when you look out into the world you might see a lot of relativism you know and you might see how people can justify their actions based on what they're doing but then you also hear those same people, especially in today's current events, right? It's everything so polarizing. And you see people looking at the events today and people are objectively saying that's wrong. You know, whatever it is, um, you know, the president, whatever he's doing, that's wrong. Looting, whatever, that's wrong. And, and so people can say they believe in relativism, but when it comes down to actions and, you know, what you're actually doing, like, would you be okay with somebody just taking your computer sitting right in front of you? Or would you, would you feel like you've been wronged, you know? And then that's where I think objective morality has to come in because this is putting where you're putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak. Like you can say you believe in relativism, but until it, when it comes down to, you know, how you operate, you operate based on objective morality. Right. Right. That's a really good point. And I mean, we can go even farther with what's going on in um, the country with race, because we as Christians believe that racism is wrong. Um, I, I know that we both believe that racism is wrong and mm -hmm. that God views 
at each each person um, as his creation and loves them the same. And Jesus would go single-handedly die for any person, any race, oh, yeah. you know, any culture. And he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, we truly believe that. And now you have this issue where people are saying that systemic racism is wrong. And we believe that to be true because we do believe in this objective moral wrong of, or not necessarily systemic racism. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but racism, it's objectively wrong. Um, but then we have on the opposite spectrum that people are using that as a crutch to go and destroy cities, which I believe is also morally wrong. And it's objective because you're destroying, you know, people's property, their hard earnings. And like you were talking about the laptop. Um, and you have to be settled on this issue that if racism is wrong, so is destroying property. And there has to be this discussion of how do we come in the middle and truly um, get in this place of the objective moral truth, like we talked about earlier, love. Like, how do we get to that place sure. of love in yep. the system? Yep. And how do we live like Christ yep. um, in this country? Yeah. No, I think I think it based on the climate today, it makes it that much more relevant, right? When you're, when you're seeing all these things, like you see, you see how people are almost forced to have more opinions about what's right and wrong. But I think as Christians, we should see the open doors for the gospel. You know, Um, you can say something's wrong or, you know, if, if there's objective morality, people are going to have this sense of right and wrong, and they're going to have a sense of guilt and shame when they do wrong things. And that, that is, you know, obviously the law was written on our hearts by God. And that's why um, the only cure for that guilt or shame or sin is, is yeah, like you said, love, which is found in Jesus Christ. So seeing those open doors. So I want to jump back to this, this other thing. So if there is no relativism and most people will, disagree with that subconsciously there is no one who truly i believe believes in relativism because then they'll objectively say something else is wrong they'll say that me killing you know a puppy is is evil Um, a lot of people will say that but i'd say if you believe that that is wrong then you have to say that objective morals exist yeah and you don't have an argument at that point anymore so that's why i truly believe that no one truly believes in relativism it's it's fake, although it exists. Mm-hmm. Most people don't actually believe that to be true. Um, and then I want to go back to the other thing that if it were true, then survival of the fittest is what we should be living as, as humans. And right. so wiping out weaker populations, like what Hitler did, um, what he thought he was doing, I should say, um, wiping out, you know, um, killing babies, um, killing, you know, hate crimes, racism, like all of these things, would not be able to be argued against if if that were true because it's just survival of the fittest at this point but since we believe that it is not true and most people don't that means that someone had to give that moral law because it can't be possible to have a law come from nowhere it's not a self-learned thing by everyone right <clears throat> so i'd yeah. love to hear a little bit of what you have yeah and i'm You've curious too things. you have young kids uh, your daughter Amelia is how old? Four. She's four. four now, yeah. I mean, I would say she probably already has a sense of what's right and wrong, and she knows when she's disobeying dad. And um, so, 
yeah, it's something innate in all of us. So it's it's actually really interesting to see in her and most kids. I think is if you you know they they come and they slap you, um, which Amelia did that to me, or she threw something in my face while I was laying on the ground the other day, um, and she comes up to me immediately and she's like, "I'm sorry, Papa, are you okay?" Mm-hmm. Like she immediately knew that that was not right. And right. but where does that come from? Where yeah. is that code? Because yeah, we we as her parents teach that. But there's still so many times where there's things that we have not taught her that she just picks up yeah, um, and knows when she has done something wrong. Yeah. To say it's learned, to say it's biological, would mean that we might see these things in things other than humans, right? And I think there's this is the separation of how we are made in God's image that, you know, trout, they eat each other's babies. You know, we don't do that. Um, uh, (laughs) they're animals. Yeah, literally it's in their name. They're just animals. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think it's another testament to, yeah, just, um, how we're made in God's image. We have a sense of right and wrong. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good point. It would be weird to see, you know, (laughs) a court hearing for a bunch of lions that had just killed a gazelle. Yeah. Um, but that's essentially what you'd have to have if we're going by moral law yeah. being active in the animal kingdom. So Lewis also says further than just morality is objective. And since it is objective, there must be a lawgiver. He then says this moral lawgiver must be absolutely good. Otherwise all moral effort would be futile in the long run since we could be sacrificing our lives for what is not ultimately right. The source of all good must be absolutely good, since the standard of all good must be completely good. And I think a lot of people get caught up in this one, like the problem of evil is a big one. And you guys, um, Perry, our buddy, and you love this guy, Alvin Plantinga, who debunks the problem of evil, because if I'm getting this wrong, you can correct me, because God knows better for humanity then we know and we see such a smaller picture of justice and love yeah. and good yeah like how who are we to say not being god that the level of evil in this word world is unacceptable and then if you don't believe in god how can you say that there is evil that's saying there's evil and good and what is evil and good to you if you don't believe in god you're just a belief and you're just the result of natural processes whatever that is you know right and it's impossible with if there is a God, which we do both believe, but I'm just giving a hypothetical, it, it's impossible to say that if there's a, a all supreme being out there that gave a moral law and created this world, if he exists, it's, it's ridiculous for us to say that we know better of good and we know better of justice. Mm-hmm. If he can see so much farther than just this physical world, um, It's just, it would be weird to say if you think about it from that perspective. And that's, I think that's what Paul is saying, uh, where he talks about faith at some point and, or, or election, right? I think that was his, he was talking about, um, who am I to say that there is no God choosing of people? Because I don't know, I'm just a man. I am just mere and I can be smart and learned, but not have an infinite mind. Right. God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases, you know, that's written in Psalms. And, and yeah, Paul also says, you know, 
God creates vessels for whatever his purposes are, vessels for honorable use and vessels for dishonorable use. And, um, yeah. So C.S. Lewis ends with this. So he gives sort of, you know, the if you've taken logic or people have taken logic, you have these, uh, if A, then B, if B, then C, if all of those, then D must be true. So C.S. Lewis gives this step where he says, there must be a universal moral law. It's objective. If that's true, then there is a lawgiver. If that's true, this lawgiver must be good. And if that's true, therefore, there must ultimately be a good moral lawgiver. This is objective. And that is what we both believe. And C.S. Lewis seems to give a pretty good argument um, for the existence of God in, in all of this. And I, w- I want to talk a little bit now. We have a few minutes left here. I want to talk about um, morality in in kind of our lives from what we've seen. And then our friends, because we have friends that have stepped away from their faith based on this moral idea mm-hmm. of life um, in and around them and what they've seen and evil that they've experienced or they've seen people experience. And then uh, kind of wrap it up for the episode. Um I mean, I feel like we can do a whole nother episode. We're already at 25 minutes in and we can do more. But um, if you want to just give me a rundown on how you came to this conclusion of a moral lawgiver, um, was it something you read or just kind of like things that you've seen overall in your life? Excuse me. Yeah, no, I think it first came with, uh, you know, when our buddy Perry started getting really uh, into philosophy and um, the way it made the most sense to me was, the standard, right? Like you can, to say you're more right than somebody else is, you know, it means nothing if there's no standard because there's nothing for you to be closer to. Um, so that's the first way I understood it. But, um, I guess, are you talking like, are you asking me like my faith walk kind of how, uh, yeah. Like how does it, how does that shape your view on God right now? Like how does it keep you grounded in your faith? Right. Yeah. No, I think, for me, like you talked about that sense of ought, the moral obligation, you know, you ought to do something or you ought not to. Um, and people can't escape it. You know, it's as, I think it's as, as real as those trees outside. So um, what do you do with that? What do you do with that sense of what you ought or what, what ought not to do? Um, and um, if there is a moral lawgiver who is perfectly good, perfectly just, um, what is his purpose for that? Um, so in my faith walk that came through, um, yeah, just, uh, finding that accomplishment of the law in Jesus Christ and placing my faith in him. And now God sees me as, as he would see his own son, Jesus Christ, perfectly righteous. So nice. I really like that. I think that's, that's a profound thing for people to take away because it's, uh, a lot of people can relate to that everyone in their life, I think, can relate to that kind of how you just described it. Um, And I want to end sort of with this thought as we have three minutes here. Um, God seemed morally obligated and justified in destroying humanity because of sin. Mm -hmm. But yet he stepped outside of that to give his son Jesus Christ on the cross. And And when you think about it that way is this perfect lawgiver could not be in the presence of mankind because of the immorality of mm-hmm. humanity. Yep. 
but yet chose to take upon immorality on himself through sin. The perfect moral lawgiver takes that upon himself. It's kind of hard for people to fathom. It's crazy. But, you know, he he was the perfect good lawgiver, and he became flesh to take on immorality. Not that he committed it in any way, but chose to take it upon himself on the cross. And with that, obviously, sickness and, and death. Yeah, um, yeah. And I want that to be an encouragement for people. Um as we kind of end this podcast that God would be willing to do that for the sake of humanity and for you and me, people that don't deserve good. Yeah. But yet God chose to be good to us. Yeah. He's the perfect moral lawgiver. He's also the judge and he's the one who stepped down off his throne. He stepped down off his judgment seat to be one of us. And yeah, it's It's amazing. Crazy. So that is it for this podcast episode. We can keep talking about morality a lot and, uh, I might have Josh on the show again to kind of go more in depth on this. Um, But I hope you guys enjoy the episode. No sponsorships yet. So sadly, (laughs) sadly, I can't recite anything right now, but maybe next week we'll have all new equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe flooded in here. Maybe we'll have some nice sure mics or something, like a a better room and all that. But anyways, you guys, thank you for listening to the podcast. Josh, thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. David, it's a pleasure. And uh, we'll be doing it again. So thanks.